to the 46th episode of It Wasn't Me, a true crime podcast where we discuss murders that intrigue us. I'm Mercedes. And I am Cindy. Thank you for listening to last week's episode where we finished telling you about the charming psychopath Mark A. Hopkinson. Our show is often horrifying and graphic, and we will use offensive language. So if you have kids, put them away for a while and join us for a murder. Also, we are passionate and always have been about true crime, but we must warn you that sometimes we'll make jokes and laugh during our podcast. Want to learn more about us? Visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com to find links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. If you like what you hear and you'd like to help us out, please subscribe to our podcast at your on your favorite platform and leave us a five-star rating along with a comment. Also, please recommend us to your friends and family. The more, the merrier. Hey, Cindy, how's it going? It's going all right. How, are, how is your week going? Pretty well. Uh, I can't believe that my three-day weekend is almost over. It makes me want to cry. I know. I actually had to take two days off last week, Thursday and Friday. So I kind of, I mean, oh. wish they weren't, re- Thursday and Friday were not relaxing at all. Oh, so. uh, yeah. Mm, but gosh. my weekend was pretty relaxing. Yeah, yeah, because... Yeah. You got to stay in paradise. <laughs> well, you you came over yes. too. This is actually our second attempt to record this because somebody got drunk the other night and had a little too much to drink. <laughs> I won't tell you which one of us that was. <laughs> but maybe we'll reveal some of our uh, drunken escapades in a later, later bonus episode. Maybe drunk bloopers or drunken something. Drunken bloopers. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. <laughs> so anything else i don't think so i'm trying to i've moved on to my next marathon so i've been i have been marathon watching new girl which is really like an older show it's not even on the air anymore but it's freaking hilarious okay new girl and is that like on netflix or something yes okay i'm gonna look it up wait maybe i have started i laugh that. out loud i okay. laugh just hysterically okay well i'll give it a try i i want to say maybe i started watching it but i don't i don't remember it's hard for me to be, able to be for me to be able to watch anything that's just like strictly chicky around my house because of the dudes everywhere well i can tell you that a friend of mine told me to watch it and he's male okay so okay all right well there you go maybe i'll watch it so, um, oh yeah, hey everybody, thank you so much for all your great ratings. We are super excited about our upcoming 50th episode giveaway, and we're going to announce all of our winners on that day, the 50th episode, which will drop October 2nd, 2020. Yay! Woohoo! Okay, are you ready for this one? I am, give it to me. Uh, okay. All right, so I'm going to tell you this week about a guy named James Allen Red Dog. He's a full-blooded acid- Assiniboine Sioux who was born into poverty on February 1st, 1954, at the Fort Peck Sioux Indian Reservation in Poplar, Montana. Ah, Did you know that Sioux means little snakes? No, I did not. Yes, it does. And Apache really kind of translates to enemy. Oh. So. um, And I know Sioux and the Apache, they, well, there's a lot. there's a lot of different, like, tribes. I looked up Assiniboine, and um, they're also known as Lakota. They have a Mm -hmm. a lot of different names, Lakota, Oglala Lakota, but he was a full-blooded Native American. Mm -hmm. I listened to a podcast um, called Legends of the Old West. Uh Uh-huh. And I would listen to a whole um, episode or a series. They do like series. So it was on the Apache Wars and it was really good. And that's where I learned some of that information. I 
really want to do a little bit more research on the Native American culture after this because um, I realize how much I really don't know. And I, you know, even growing up in school, we didn't learn that much about Native Americans, just aside just from the where we are located. Yes. I mean, you know, of course, you learn about the, tra- the Trail of Tears and you learn about, you know, the treaties and, and moving people to reservations. But there's a lot that I really am ignorant on. So I'm going to admit that. Me right too. Now. And we do have reservations here in Florida. Yes. Where they're just uh, where we're actually located. I don't know. There is actually one. There is. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. um, because I worked with a guy whose who's grandfather was the chief. And I'm going to tell you this quick story. And they because, used to do like reenactments yeah. and stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know. The, uh, he told me this great story about squirrels. He had squirrels all over his, all over the place. Like that was his mm-hmm. thing. And I'm like, why squirrels? It just seems weird. And he's like, well, you know that the mighty oak tree is not possible without that squirrel because the squirrel will eat the acorns and then it has to like go through its system and he has to poop it out and, and it then and it, it will fertilize oh. it and that will start the seedling of the great oak. Oh, that's and interesting. That's one of their native, that's one of their um, stories they tell their children. Oh, awesome. Well, I know I told the story before when I was at Florida State and I had the death and dying class and the, and the Creek Indian medicine man came to talk oh. to us. Have I, t- did I not? I don't this? think so, but we have a medicine man in the story. Okay, okay. okay. Well, let me tell you real quick. Okay. So this Creek Indian, Creek Native American medicine man, shaman, whatever you want to call him, came to talk to our death and dying class. When I enrolled for this class, I thought it was because I was a social science major. So I wasn't really sure what I was getting into with the death and dying. But it's more kind of like an anthropology type. That they Basically, there was just a bunch of speakers that would come in. Um, but this one stuck with me. So you ready? Yes. Okay. He told us, this is the only thing from this class that I remember. Okay. Was that witches, when they're, if you come across a pile of owl guts in the woods. A pile of what guts? Owl. Owl guts. Owl guts in the woods, you are to bury it because it's a witch that has then transformed into the owl and they disembowel themselves, I guess, until the witch comes out. I don't, I don't really understand or know, but if you bury the the intestines, the innards, whatever, you will kill the witch. Very interesting. And um, so um, people, of course, you know, young college kids, I was a little bit older, but the young college like, so you murder people? And they're like, no, that's not what we're saying. And then they said, talked about like witches. It was really like about witches and how witches hate peppermint. So if you take peppermint oil and rub them around your windows and your doors, witches can't enter your home. Oh, I had no idea that the creek were into witchcraft like that, or at least knowledge of witchcraft like that. Right. Okay. And um, so I went. I was. I remember I was taking notes, going, "I cannot believe I'm actually writing this stuff down." That was like in my notebook. Right. And he told us a bunch of other stuff. That those are the things that like interesting. And I was like, "Mom." Mom, this <laughs> crazy ass medicine man, Creek Indian. She was like, "I hate to bring it to you, but we have Creek Indian in our in our, you know." Yeah. But when I did my DNA, it didn't come up. Okay. Yeah. So, like I said, I did my DNA, you know, through I didn't do it through Ancestry.com, but one of those sites, and nothing Native American popped up. Mm-hmm. So I want to do it again. I want to do the twenty three and Me one and do all the like chromosome one too, and mm-hmm. I want to see like compare them. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's cool. Anyway, that's my story. Sorry. Okay, no worries. There is a medicine man in here, and I am going to tell you about the Sue's beliefs in and dying much later. Okay? Oh, okay. That'll Sometime, be yeah. Okay, so he was a full-blooded Indian, more born into poverty because we definitely know that most reservations, 
you know, it's very impoverished there. Mm-hmm. So his father um, was a construction worker and he was not able to break the cycle at all. He was an alcoholic and when he needed money for himself or for bills, he did res- resort to criminal activity. He also would pimp out his wife, I'm thinking, because his wife, his Red Dog's mom also suffered from addictions. And we do, there are records that she was a prostitute at some mm. point. That is so sad. But both parents were very active in tribal government and they were very much into their culture. Um, Red Dag's, Red Dag's, mm-hmm. Red Dog's dad, ooh, say that five times fast. Right. Red Dog's dad taught him to hunt, shoot, clean a weapon, taught him all about the Native American culture. But when he was drinking, you know, he would um, rage on about the Native American plight and blame it all on the United States government for breaking their treaties. Um, so he had that pride in his culture and also the hatred of the U.S. government. Right. Remember um, when we went on a road trip, we, I played that last, the like little 15 minute bonus clip from the Apache Wars. And it was about how the Irish came over or the Irish helped. Yes. With some of, you know, they needed water. Right. Or the, the Irish mm-hmm. needed help. And the, and yeah. The, oh, yeah. That was great. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the, um, who was it? It was the, what? I can't even think of it right, right. now. But um, it and wasn't that, the Sioux or the Apaches. It was, um, I can't think of it. But right it was now, many, but. many years before this happened, before Red Dog. But yes. Yes. Yeah. yes. Like they short that, you know, he would tell his children stories about, you know, the great white owl or whatever. But I don't know any of the stories. But yeah. Recently, here it is 100 years later. Yes. They, they sent all that money they over. They sent all that money yes. to help with. The, so you, we need to definitely share the title of that because that was a great episode. Yes. It's their bonus episode. Okay. So I subscribe oh, to I Black see. Barrel Media okay. Plus. So, yeah. But still, it's totally worth it. Okay. Definitely. That was a great story. All right, so Red Dog grew up with this kind of hatred, this rage against, you know, the U.S. government and what was going on with his with his own people. Growing up, he was the second of five kids, which later included eight more stepchildren. Holy moly. And Red Dog's parents struggled with addiction. There were so many children around, so there was some neglect. There was physical abuse. Records show that the children moved in and out of foster homes. And once Red Dog was hit over the head with an electric guitar, and he and the other children were often beaten. That had to have hurt. Yeah. They moved from foster home to foster home when there were domestic disturbances. So, you know, throughout their lives, they would be taken away and then allowed to come back. Gosh, I know I've brought up that TV show Yellowstone quite a bit Mm -hmm. in the last few episodes, but it does uh, half of the cast... is an Amer- is Native American and they're on a reservation and they're fighting for the, you know, they want their land back that was theirs 150 years ago and it has, you know, the chief and the council president or all of these things. And, you know, I am learning, like one of the characters who lives on this land is married to a Native American and she actually teaches at the college and they showed like this class about, and they she took her students to like a Native American uh, like concert and where they were like rapping and stuff. And okay. I was just, I mean, like things that, like you just like said, modern we, culture. Yeah. And it was really eye opening just because I know that they probably, all of that part is probably found, you know, the foundation is on truth, you right. know, even though it's a fictional show. But it was, you know, like you said, it's not something that we just know about, which right. is kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. His life was not unique. This, uh, the reservation was a breeding ground for drug abuse, alcoholism, and poverty, and it still is. Mm -hmm. Fort Peck suffers from high unemployment and poverty rates well above the U.S. national average, 
and alcoholism and drug addiction is rampant. Education, education statistics are just as, as depressing. Um, statistically, only one in five Native Americans attending public schools graduates, and James Allen Rydog was not one of them. Gosh, and that's and that really is it. That's sad too, um, you know, because I didn't realize how impoverished these reservations were. Because you know, I hear reservation, I think, oh well, you know, we've got. You know, casinos on reservations in a lot of places. Um, But if you have a certain amount of Native American and it can be proven, you can go to college for free. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's that incentive to to go. But but that's what that's the white man way of life. You know, they. Yeah. What we want may not be what they they want. want, right? Right. Okay, so he dropped out of high school when he was 15 and got married to his girlfriend. And her name is Elizabeth comes last. She was pregnant. So the, this would be where the bloopers came in big time. Yeah, so we, <laughs> we, we couldn't get past this. Um, the comes last is actually a family on the reservation. I will say so-and-so comes last quite a bit. But that's the last name, comes last. I don't know what that means. I mean, I have so many different thoughts in my head. Um, some of it inappropriate. Most of it is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not to disparage them. It's just, I mean, but. Right. It yeah. is what it is what it is, you right. know. Or it could be, you know, the last people in the line in a, you but know, maybe caravan they went or something. By last. Could hopefully. be. Cuz I mean, you show up to school and your last name comes last. Yeah. You're in You're going to probably quit when you're 15, right? Right. Yeah. Okay, so she was pregnant and he's like, "Well, how am I going to support my wife and my kid?" He's a big guy, he's 6 foot 4, and he was strong. So he's 6 foot 4 at the age of 15. Plus, he's a Sioux warrior because that's how they raise their children. You know, you're mm-hmm. a Sioux warrior. So he decided, you know what, I'll join the U.S. Marines. But he was only 15. Mm. That did not stop him. He lied about his age and he listed. And by the time he was 18, he was a corporal. That's three years. So I don't know anything about the corporal rank. I think you try to explain that that would be a normal, that would be a normal trajectory. Yes. There's private, lance corporal, and then corporal. And then after corporal, you start to, like, as NCO, like, you become an Mm -hmm. NCO. and He he was very charming and very strong and very charismatic. So he moved up quickly. But by the time he was 18, he and the military parted ways. In a few sources, I read that he was discharged because he caused a ruckus at an officer's club. A ruckus. A ruckus. And then another source said he was discharged because he went AWOL. And it's probably a little bit of both. After his discharge, he returned to Fort Peck with his wife, and now he had three young children. When you go AWOL, the marshals come after you. That's who comes to get you. That's who is in search of you is the United States Marshal Service. Okay, well, interesting, because when he goes back to the reservation, of course, you know, that's FBI as well. Yes. That's, you, that's, well, that's, that's federal federal agents, have, right. Who have jurisdiction besides, besides the, the tribal, tribal The tribal police. Yeah. So after his discharge, he goes back to the reservation, and he wasn't a great father or husband. He was abusive and mean. When he was drinking, and that seemed to be a lot, he was always out partying and messing around on his wife. And she actually had a job. She was trying the best to support her kids. And I did read that she didn't care when he was at home. She was quite relieved because it was easier for her and her family and more peaceful when he wasn't home. She probably was walking on eggshells and just, right. you know, it was just easier to not have to deal yeah. with this. He would come home, um, but just usually to sleep and eat, you know, whatever. 
Now, employment was scarce on the reservation at the time, or at least Red Dog uses that as an excuse for not getting a job. You don't He's, have to get a job on the reservation. Right. But he complains a lot about how, you know, we can't get jobs and the poverty and all that. He's he's very vocal about it. But, you know, he's a s- smart, intelligent person. If he wanted to do something, he probably could have. I'm not sure. Using as yeah. an excuse. He, yeah. And I'm not even sure that he was looking for a job. He would tell his wife that he was out looking for a job. But instead, he would spend his days and nights drinking and philosophizing about um, the impoverished nation and the U.S. government. There was an unrest among Native peoples at that time and a sense of national a nationalism was growing. So it's very much pride in being mm-hmm. a Native American. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, in 1973, like right around this time, that uh, the Oglala Lakota actually seized and occupied Wounded Knee, South South Dakota. They actually just like took over this town. Oh wow! Took people um, hostages, and they were doing that to protest the sitting president of the Indian Nation, as well as the corrupt U.S. government who were not upholding numerous treaties. So there's a lot more political things involved. But what I will say, it was like a true, you know. Indian uprising like you remember wow. from watching from old west movies like mm-hmm. they took over people were killed oh, wow. in this um, they also took over that place because it was symbolic of the Wounded Knee Massacre that occurred in 1890 when their peoples were massacred this became known as the Wounded Knee Mo- Movement and this I will learn more about on my own but um, I don't know that much about it what I do know is that this was a cause for Red Dog and in his own words he was an angry Indian he and the young men on the reservation saw themselves as young warrior braves and they needed a war. This was their war. Yep. So this was a cause that he stood for his entire life. One night, he and some of his buddies were hanging out at the Cum's last house. Um, <laughs> Sorry. It was Red Dog, who was 18, and then two other Sioux. There was Stephen Wayne Lilly, who's 17, and Ralph James Clancy was 25. They're out drinking. It's October 3rd, 1973. And they ended up at Bonnie Cum's last house where they were drinking some more. I find it very odd. He was very lucky that he didn't get wrapped up with the Marine Corps in in Vietnam. Because being that he was Native American, he probably would have been sent right yeah, away. Yeah, I didn't see anything. And you know what? I didn't dig too deeply in that part of it. I but think that would have been a, like a big yeah. highlight. Like, hello. Yeah, that would have if he did, he did and, not go there. Yeah. He was highly intelligent. Like, I don't know what kind of job he had. But, you know, everybody says how intelligent he is, you know, and he could turn that charm on. But they would say also that as he grew older, he became angrier and angrier. So that charm was just a a manipulation tool. Right. Yeah. And people and like our like last our last episode, you know, that guy was really smart. Yes. Very charming at first. Yes. The the charismatic psychopath. And then it turned out and then everyone kind of learned and they were like, yeah, this guy's a psycho. He's so charismatic. It, then you know people uh-huh. learned that 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 was his mechanism but to I, I will also them. say that for red dog it was the cause of being a sioux and that's how sioux are you know we have we have no empathy for you whatsoever if you're on this side of the line yeah i mean mm-hmm. and that's a lot not just with you know that tribe that was you yeah. know other tribes and other lives you know other you know lots of other things so so I was looking for a book I have, but I read this book a couple, a few years ago about um, a white boy from Texas who was taken. The whole book was about children who were kidnapped by Native American tribes and raised that way. And then the kids would come back. Felix Ward. 
Is that who Felix Ward? I don't he, remember the name, but he, the whole book was about different um, boys and girls who had been taken, and they wouldn't want to go back to being. No, he actually became a a famous Amer uh, famous Native American Indian scout okay. for, and that's where uh, Cochise. Okay, actually, maybe it was him. And so Cochise was, you know, a descendant of uh, Mangus, uh, Colorados. Okay, red red sleeves, and so. Then Cochise was t- the um, Lieutenant Bansom. It's called the uh, the Bansom Affair. Called him and said, "Look, this boy has been taken. His name was Felix Ward." And then I'm know, not sure that I'm thinking of the same guy because the guy that I'm thinking of, his family were German and they had a German name. Could, but it could have been Tealy's. I don't. I don't know. I have he, the book I saw somewhere, but two yeah. different names. But it was Texas, and it, I believe it was Texas. Mm-hmm. And then Cochise. Um, ran out the back and they actually kidnapped his wife and child and like a bunch of people died because the Indians then raided mm-hmm. and actually and they never found the boy and then later out later he was a famous scout okay for so them. they did find this boy he actually did go As back an adult, they, no the one I'm talking oh, about okay. he actually went back and he kept running away and going back so he, when he was kidnapped as a child, like, you know, he said, why would I want to go back? You know, with this, with my family, the, the Native American family, I can run, I can hunt, I can have fun. They let boys be boys. They let kids grow wild and, you know, they and learn about nature. That, yeah. And then he's like, I go home and I'm cleaning and farming and working my, you know, yeah. so, okay. So whatever the case is, um, you know, they're, they're complaining about their life and they're drinking beer. And then all of a sudden the beer runs out. But while they're talking, they're coming up with this plan. They want to kind of pull a wounded knee movement in their own town. So they, they're talking, you know, let's go, let's go break into the coast-to-coast hardware store and steal some weapons. And we can hole up in there and we can shoot off the authorities. We can keep it until Means and Banks, those were the leaders of a movement called the American Indian Movement, will come to join them or rescue them. Um Means and Banks were the leaders of the Wounded Knee movement, and they were seen as, like, icons of, of young Native Americans. So the young bra- Braves are hanging out. They're fantasizing about how they can get to the attention of these big chiefs in the American Indian movement, and they run out of beer. So instead of breaking into the hardware store, they each grabbed a rifle, because you know they each have one, and they go to Bill's Pizza Palace to get more beer. This is just crazy time. Right? The 25-year-old Clancy stayed in the car. The owner of the place doesn't matter, man. Right. <laughs> the owner of the place, thirty-nine-year-old William Bill V. Seth, answered the door. They went to the back door and he opened the restaurant door. And they're like, "Dude, we're here for beer." And he's like, "Are you even old enough? Let me see your ID." And then he's like, "Okay, you know what? Just get the hell out of here. We're closed." And he tries to close the back door, and either Red Dog or Lily like push the door open and fire the gun, shooting V. Seth in the um, in the chest. And Visa then stumbled backwards trying to get to the basement. Just for beer. Just for beer and, and money. And you know they're angry Indians and they got to do this. So Red Dog pushed his way into the pizza shop ordering two of the servers who were there to lie on the floor. And just imagine lying on um, a pizza shop floor at the end of the night. Because no. I used to own a pizza shop and that is not a place I would want to go. No. And I don't think that the, the ladies did either because when he, when he pointed the rifle at one of them, Cynthia Thompson, she like brushed the barrel aside like, no way. And then Red Dog menacingly told the women that um, Lily, the other guy, he's like, he's crazy. He's going to kill all of us. 
So then the other server, Nora Walton, gave them several six packs of beer, which they took. And they also took a little bit of money. One of the men also took, um, yeah, they took the money that was in the um, cash register before they left. I can't imagine like being that ballsy and pushing a pushing a gun at them out of my face. You know, like, get that out of my face. Right. So I'm just wondering, did they know them? Yeah. I mean, who knows? Was there a relationship already there? Like, dude, I know you. Get that out of my face. I don't right. know. Right. Yeah. Anyway, when they left, they drove east on Highway 2. They were like, mm, we, we've got to get to Canada. We just killed somebody. So it wasn't their intention to go in there to kill someone. So they're freaking out. Clancy's throwing the rifles and the beer out of the cars. They're driving north. And then when they get to the Canadian border, it's closed. <coughs> So they're like, oh, oh, shit. You know what? I'm tired. Let's go home. So they go home and Red Dog goes to home to his wife and kids. And Lily, I don't know where he is, but he ends up getting arrested in an alley behind a bar. Clancy was never arrested. And Red Dog was arrested at home, probably right in front of his kids and wife. Oh, that's fantastic. The two were charged with first degree murder and each had his own trial. So they severed the trials. Lily's was first, and he was convicted of murder in the first degree. So he's convicted. And then when Red Dog went to trial, he testified on his own behalf. And here he is, this charming Native American. He's like, it wasn't me. Lily did it. Lily fired the fatal shot. So Red Dog was convicted of robbery and manslaughter. But get this. The manslaughter charge was thrown out on a technicality because manslaughter was never in the... um, it was never a choice. It was either first degree murder or, you know, nothing. Not right. Well, then how did they? So somehow the jury came back and said, okay, well, we're not going to charge him with the first degree murder. We're going to charge him with manslaughter. And then it gets thrown out on a technicality later on. So he's sentenced to 15 years for the robbery conviction. All right. So he was serving time in the Federal Correction Institute in Lompoc, California. And I'm probably not saying that right. I did look it up. It is a lower security prison for inmates that are serving one to 15 years for like drug or other nonviolent offenses. Although I don't see how that was a nonviolent offense. I don't either. Yeah. That's, Mm -hmm. that's crazy. So he goes to prison. I take it that's not where our story ends though. Oh no. (laughs) After his acquittal on the, um, on the manslaughter case, he decides, well, I'm going to try to get my buddy off and I'm going to admit that I shot V-SIP. So he goes and he's like, okay, wait, my buddy. Oh, because he couldn't be charged again. He can't be charged Double jeopardy. again. Right? So he's like, okay, well, and he's smart enough to know that. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get my buddy off. So he, he calls in. He's like, look, Lily didn't really shoot him. I did. But well, would that be perjury? So couldn't they like discount his perjury? Well, they knew then... that it wasn't true because of the witness testimony of the two ladies that were yeah. in there. And they knew that it wasn't true because of the, you know, ballistics on the gun. The, because they're whatever. not dumb either. Yeah. They're like, you know what? We know who the real shooter is. Shut the hell up. All right. So anyway, while in Lompoc, and I'm not sure if Red Dog was a middle, uh, model prisoner. I don't think he was because he was found with, an, uh, with a homemade knife at some point. Shank. Yeah, a shiv or a shank, right? Yeah, there's a difference. I don't know. Oh, is there? Um, however, my 13-year-old knows. Okay. Well, you know, they yeah. would know that thing. Of course they would. Now, from my understanding from later testimony, prisoners of the same race and ethnicities tend to stick together in prison. Mm-hmm. And they still do. I mean, it's I know that just from me. segregated. Yeah. Like, you hang out with your gang, your mm-hmm. homies. And it was no different. Red Dog hung out with other Native Americans. And it's a huge population of Native Americans incarcerated at Lompoc. He did befriend and make many acquaintances, and one of those acquaintances was a guy named Raymond Tapahas. 
or Tapajas. I'm not sure how you say that, but he was another incarcerated Native American. So around this time in, um, in August 1977, there was some sort of like huge Native American gathering going on somewhere and they decided they were going to go. So they escaped on August 6, 1977. <laughs> we're going to go to that. Yeah, we're, we're going to go to that. So they escaped during some sort of like um, field trip or something they were all on. So what? They, yeah. You could go on a field trip? They went on something. You know, it's low security. They I'm were out. I don't know. Maybe they were cleaning the highway. I mean, maybe. I don't know what they were doing, yeah. but they escaped. A chain gang? They were working the chain gang? Well, I don't know that. if they do chain gangs anymore at that time. No, it's 19, And this is California. Yeah. But, you know, that's what Yeah. You know. Well, which, yeah. Okay. So they escaped, um, and, and this Native American gathering was like a huge festival of sorts. It had traditional powwows, tribal meetings, dancing, spiritual seminal ceremonies, and more. Basically, it was a gathering of tribes and a huge celebration of their national pride. Red Dog later claims that he was hired by the American Indian Movement, that he and Tapajas were hired by the American Indian Movement to assassinate two other Native Americans who had been deemed enemies of the cause. Oh, shut up. Now, of course, the AIM denies that. The of American course. Indian Movement denies that. But, you know, they were also on the other side of the law when it came to their movement. I mean, they were the ones behind that right. siege. And They're more like a militia. Wounded. Yes. Okay. Me too. Do you, you want to go? All right. So these dudes are out. They've escaped. And four days later, they end up at an, a Los Angeles bar where they meet two other Native Americans, a guy named Moses John, who was 31, and 25-year-old Stanley Large. So they must know where to go. I mean, let's face it. Have you ever, I mean, when I go into a restaurant, I don't think I've ever seen a family of Native Americans just, you know, at, at a dinner table. And good, bad, or indifferent. Uh-huh. But so, I mean, it's like he keeps meeting these right. Native Americans. Well, so and, you they... know, this is out west, too. And there probably are true. a lot of places where you can go, if you know, you know. I don't know if they where. cater to them. or uh, It's possible. I don't know. I don't know. Sound, yeah. Like, I'm not trying to shed bad light like they hang out with their own time you know what yeah I mean? yeah so. and i'm not sure i don't know what but i know that if they ended up meeting there now my question at first was did they know them beforehand and Maybe that could have been it. somebody said you know was it pre-arranged that they escape and go here i don't know the answer to that i'm thinking um at first i thought well maybe it was pre-arranged but now i'm kind of thinking like they didn't um they're all partying at this bar. There were there were four men and at least one woman who partied until the bar closed. And then they went to Large's house for the after party. You know, go by. I'll go grab some more beer. We'll finish partying at your house. That kind of thing. Don't run out. Large off also offered Red Dog and Tapaha a place to crash. So I have to wonder, like I said, did Large and John... did. Did they know that Red Dog and Tapaha were escaped felons? I don't know that. I don't know. I would think that maybe they they did because I can't. I just see Red Dog as somebody who's a braggart kind of like, oh yeah, yeah you know, we just we just escaped from prison. But I don't know that. I don't know the case. What I do know is that um, when they got there, there were other people there. One of whom was an eighteen-year-old guy named Levi Aragon. So they drank all the beer, the women left, and the men went to their respective sleeping spots. Red Dog and Tapaha were in a back bedroom somewhere, and he was sleeping when he heard someone enter his room. Then he and Tapaha went crazy. So I'm not sure who was in the room, but what I do know is that they ended up tying up Large and um, uh, John Moses, or Moses John. 
They sexually assaulted them, and then after they finished, they stabbed them to death. So Red Dog and his buddy, Tapaha, uh-huh. tied the two up. They gave them a place to, to yes. crash. Yes. Sexually assaulted them and yes. then stabbed and yes. killed them. And it's a, a form of terror that the Native Americans used to do way back in the 1800s, too. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's exactly what they did. They spared the life of 18-year-old Aragon, I guess because Tapaha liked him, because he kept Aragon as a personal sex slave. Holy shit. Yeah, he terrorized... I did not... I mean, I'm learning lots about the Native American uh-huh. culture and to do with, you know, back in the 1800s, because that's when mm-hmm. um, the Apache Wars took place, was around 1860. And so, of course, it doesn't mention any kind of sexual assault in there, mm-hmm. but um, wow... Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he, so, ta- so they force Aragon to drive them. They're like, well, we're going to go back to Montana. And so they're driving along the way. Well, first of all, Tabat terrorized um, Aragon for hours at the apartment before they left to go to Montana. Now, first of all, if you're in an apartment, don't you think someone around you might hear that? I would think so. I don't know. I would think so. Unless they, you know, like bound and gagged them where they couldn't make much noise, but, you know sexual assault and murder seems like it would be pretty noisy well maybe they live in a place where people just mind their own business yeah it could be it could be or they you know everybody around them was passed out wasted i don't know there was a murder that Mm -hmm. happened here in our town where well the guy died it wasn't so he was apparently calling it causing a big ruckus (laughs) he was causing a big ruckus at a party and they tied him up oh yeah in the shed yeah we talked about this on another episode before yeah yeah that guy who they tied up and he died like three days later, and he was like calling out for help. And we're like, "Oh yeah, we heard, we heard yeah. somebody." But that guy um, uh, sold drugs to someone that I went to high school with. Okay, that um, it was fentanyl. Oh, and the guy ended up ODing. Yeah, oh my god, yeah. I remember this story. Ugh. And okay. a year later, he died. I'm like, yeah, mm, mm-hmm. sorry about your luck. Yeah, I, there's no love loss there. Poetic justice, maybe I don't know. Uh, maybe that's not yeah. right, but that's just how I feel about it. Well, I mean, you live a life uh, addicted to drugs like that. I mean, it's just going to lead to bad news no matter where you go. Right? I mean, he was the person who called nine one one and yeah. said this guy died, but there was it was just very suspicious. The place was cleaned up. There yeah, were, it was just very suspicious. Mm. All right. So anyway, they decided that they're going to drive to Montana, like I said, and these two Native Americans are. You know, they're wasted. They're drinking whiskey. They're still drinking along the way, raping Tapaha along the way. Oh, my God. And then... He's a kid. He's a kid. He's... Right. And then he passed... Those two pass out somewhere in Vegas. And Aragon manages to escape. And he runs straight to the police, who immediately arrested Red Dog and Tapaha. Good for him. Bless his heart. Right? But get this. So, the men who were each charged with two counts of second-degree murder... Uh, but get this, Red Dog was given a sentence to run concurrently with his 15-year sentence for his part in the 1978 robbery of the Pizza Palace. He didn't serve a single extra day for his part in the killing of John or Large, and he didn't get charged for kidnapping Aragon. What about breaking out of prison? You didn't that's didn't get too. any charges on that either. So when he got sent back, he was required to finish out his time. His original sentence, right? basically. Which was 15 years. What? The heck? So he gets away with murder for... Again. Again. So now there are three people dead. Holy crap. Oh, but that's not all. Well, geez. So I'm not sure when, but at some point he had divorced his wife and married another woman 
who was a social worker named Bonnie Johnson. They, she who was marries a, that? Right? Well, like I said, you know, he's charismatic with that grin. And people think, you know what? He has a cause. And this is his cause. And he's fighting for it. Was he good looking? I have seen pictures where he is dog ugly. But then oh. when he had his long black hair, yeah, he could have been very oh, attractive. Was he mesmerizing them with his long he, oh, oh, And he had this really brilliant smile. Um, but the picture, like, when he's in prison, he's bald and, you know... You can see his bones, like his like mm. very thin skin over his skull. And he's not attractive at all those later years. Mm. Okay. I'm going to look him up. Okay. So, Miss Johnson, later Mrs. Red Dog, was an advocate for the Sioux. She, would, um, she wrote many grants and won those grants that were for fetal alcohol, um, fetal alcohol syndrome prevention and other social programs for the impoverished Na- Native Americans. So she had a deep concern for the Native peoples. She was spiritual and she was in awe of Red Dog. Is that is that common for them to have alcohol fetal, fetal alcohol syndrome? Because for some reason, I think that. I would think that, yes. I mean, that's probably one of the, um, the that's probably prevalent throughout the reservation. I mean, I know that it's a stereotype to say that, you know, Native right. Americans are alcoholics or have addiction problems, but I didn't realize that it really... There is a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. But it might be also because it's a smaller, a smaller minority of people. Well, and I don't know. I mean, there is the statistics there are much higher than anywhere else. So um, I don't know. But no matter what he did with other women or whatever, he always knew that she, Bonnie Red Dog, would be very devoted to him. So, you know, he he loved her dearly. She was also forgiving. He did transfer from Lompoc after um, his after getting caught again. First, he went to Leavenworth, which is in Kansas City, and then he was moved to the Federal Correctional Facility in Marion, Illinois. Now, on February 20th, 1983, a Mexican gang member named Joe Ortega, he was another inmate at Marion, died of an overdose on a speedball, which... While in prison. While in prison, which is a combination of heroin and cocaine. Yes, that's what River Phoenix, how he died. Speedballs. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, supposedly. Yeah. So what ended up happening is that they traced the drug back to Red Dog and his wife. And his wife, the social worker. His wife was smuggling it in. Um, and they would, I don't know if they were conjugal visits, but then Red Dog would smuggle it back into wow. the prison. So he admitted um, they ended up becoming informants on the case for getting lesser charges. Of course they And did. both admitted to providing the lethal drug that was used to kill Ortega. As a matter of fact, Red Dog was the go-to for drugs at Marion, like I said. Because, like I said, Bonnie would smuggle it in via balloons that were hidden in intimate places. And she would pass it on to her husband through intimate means. And then Red Dog would smuggle the balloons into a cell. And he actually would say, you know, well, I would keister it. I would keister some of them and then um, hide the others in my mouth. Oh. Right? Red Dog told the feds that a... A prison gang had hired Red Dog to smuggle in the hot shot that would be used to assassinate Ortega. Red Dog also provided details on the American Indian movement to the fe- the feds. So the you know, this um, he Red Dog told the feds that the American Indian movement was committing crimes like robbing banks and things like that to fill their treasury. Hmm. So of course, for his cop his cooperation, he was paroled in 1984. So he's free. And he and his wife, Bonnie, moved back to Fort Peck. But within two years, he had violated his parole because he's carrying around a knife. I mean, what kind of Indian warrior doesn't carry around a knife, right? right? 
So he was sent back to prison for two more years. And then he was released on February 2nd, 1988. At this point, um, he and his wife were sent to Wilmington, Delaware under the witness protection program because they were going to testify in the prison gang trial. So he is sent to Delaware where he does violate parole, but no one knows why he's there. And the feds put him back in prison for another year. Okay. So he's in and out of prison, but he's in Delaware and um, in Delaware, Bonnie finds a job as an office administrator at the Tally Ho, Tally Ho Motel Lodge. The tally ho. The tally ho. That's an inside joke, by the way. <laughs> kind of. Any locals would know what we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Now, um, so she, while they're there, they become, um, I guess, involved with the Native American movement there. There is, um, he taught Sioux traditions to the Nanticoke Indians, and I don't know if I'm saying that right, but they thought Red Dog was the real deal. Like he was, they really, when it came to Native American spirituality and truth, he was like the person you would look up to. You know, he knew about sweats and he knew about, you know, the great Milky Way. And he he told great stories about the Native Americans, but then he would get drunk. Yeah. And then he was a different person and his mask would fall, fall off. And he was described as being truly cold, having a soulless personality. Um, but Bonnie became really good friends with one of her co-workers, and his name was Hugh Pennington. Uh-oh. And he was a night auditor, and they were just friends. But she also became friends with his mom. So they're, um, so. Red Dog probably doesn't care. Now, I don't know if Red Dog cares or not. Okay. But. Um, no, I'm saying, like, he didn't care if they were just friends. Probably. Yeah, he probably didn't care, right? Yeah. So he's out hanging out trying to pick up you know, women at a bowling alley on February 9th, 1991. And he's hanging out talking to this lady and he's using this Native American charm on her. And he's like, Hey, can you live with what I do? And this lady's name was Deborah, Deborah Adams. And he's, she's like, well, what's that? And he said, Terminator. And she's like, exterminator. <laughs> and he's like, no, Terminator, the enforcer. Oh, Lord. And she's like, the enforcer? And then she said that Red Dog then told her, I hurt people. And according to one source, he told her that he had a job in Baltimore, which was a job for the enforcer to kill someone. You didn't tell a random person this? Well, you know, I don't know if he knew her beforehand. He probably he probably does know her. I don't know if they have an affair because he's like, can you live without what I do? I don't know what's going on. But what is known is that he showed her a piece of paper with a Baltimore address on it. And he was supposed to go to Baltimore when he left, but for some unknown reason, he never made it to Baltimore. Instead, he drove north to the Wilmington home of his wife's friend, Mr. Pennington, and um, went in. See? Okay. Now, Mr. Pennington's mom was at the Red Dog residence hanging out with Bonnie Red Dog, who is Red Dog's wife? When Red Dog was when at Red Dog went to Pennington's house, oh. his wife was his mom was with his right. wife. Okay. okay, all right. So it's early Sunday, and imagine you're sleeping in your bed when all of a sudden you're awoken from a deep and sound sleep by a six foot four male. No, right. So um, when Red Dog came in, he forced the thirty year old night auditor who was in his PJs to go into the basement. There, Mr. Pennington's wrists and ankles were tied tightly with duct tape and electrical wire. He was forced to lie on his back on the floor. He was tortured. Um, I don't know if there was sexual assault there or not. But what I do know is that um, Red Dog, who went in drunk and rage, is like, has Superman-like strength, slashed Pennington's throat 
that nearly decapitated oh. him. By the way, he took his boots off because he didn't want to get blood on his shoes. Oh. Um, the wound was six inches deep. It caused his blood to rush from his body, which ended up collecting in a pool around his head. The defendant left bloody footprints and fingerprints all over all over the scene and a lot of other substantial evidence, which pointed conclusively to his to his guilt. Jesus. So he slashes the man's throat and then he leaves the victim's house and drives to his own house where Pennington's mom, Elsa Pennington, is hanging out with his wife. Okay. Hey, man, I just yeah. saw your son. And well, he doesn't say that th- at that instance. So oh. he comes in. He's like, listen, listen, ladies, I have to go meet some friends. Can you give me a ride, Elsa? Because Elsa was on her way home. And of course, she offered to give him a ride. Now, on the way out of his house, he picked up a length of clothesline that was just sitting there. <gasps> He's going to kill her. Okay. So after leaving the Red Dog residence, Red Dog told Mrs. Pennington that he really, it was just a lie. He wasn't really planning to go meet anyone. Instead, he wanted to go to her house and talk to her son, Hugh Pennington, about maybe getting some lithium from him because Pennington had severe depression and was taking lithium. And... Red Dog tells Mrs. Pennington, well, you know, your son said he would give me, um, he would give me some lithium if it was okay with you. He said, you know, and Red Dog said, you know, I just left your house. Hugh's watching TV. So she just figured, okay. So she took him home to her house. So if like a regular person takes lithium, I guess it messes them up. Wow, that's some serious depression if they've got you on lithium. Well, and the, don't forget that this was the early 70s. So or this, was no, wait, was lithium. this the 70s? I'm not sure when this was. This um, was 1991, I think is what I said, right? Yes, I believe so. Um, yeah, yeah, February 1991. So I don't know. I, I, I feel like they had antidepressants at that time. They but did. It might be that's a little bit serious, earlier. Some yeah. serious depression for lithium. Because, like, once you go on lithium, mm-hmm. I don't think you can ever come off. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know. know why I think that. I, I don't know. Whatever the case is that um, he talked her into taking him back to her house. And once there, she she sits in her living room on a chair. And she's like, wait, my son's not awake. She believed that he was asleep in his room. Then Red Dog went into the kitchen for a glass of water. But when he returned, he was carrying the clothesline rope and the knife. Mm-mm. And he straddled Mrs. Pennington and told her that he wanted her. He took her upstairs to her bedroom, still carrying the rope, which he had retrieved while exiting his home. And he cut it into strips with the knife that he was carrying. And he tied her to her own double bed and raped her at knife point repeatedly. Good grief. She did not know that her son was dead downstairs. Now, in the morning, he compelled her to accompany him. And I guess at knife point, you would be compelled to accompany someone, yeah. don't you think? Um, she's frightened and he escaped. They leave the house and she's raped multiple times. I think it was like over a period of a couple of days. Um, at one point he tells her, you know what? I need to run into this guy's home. So he pulls up, she pulls up, she's driving and he runs out. He's like, I'll be right back. You stay here. And he runs into the house. Now, what would you do if this was you? Get the hell out of Dodge. That's exactly what she does. He had ordered her to stay in the car while he ran inside real quick, but she drove straight to a police station. Good for her. Right? Police were, there was an all-out police search for him. They found the, you know, they found Hugh Pennington's body downstairs. Police ended up finding Red Dog a few days later as he was crossing, I think it's called the Winchester Bridge, and they arrested him, and he smelled like shit. They're like, why do you smell so weird? And he's like, oh, 
Well, because I smeared myself with deer feces to throw off your dogs. Gross. So only one month before this rampage on the Pennington family, Red Dog had sought help for his cocaine and alcohol addiction at a rehab center. And here he is again being charged for murder. Now, do you think at some point that's five people dead, uh, quite a few people raped. Yeah. And no, who knows what wasn't ever reported. Right. right? Now, one of the senators of Delaware at the time, who was Joe Biden, introduced a bill that would require the feds to tell local law enforcement if a dangerous person is set up in an area. Now, is this part of the... This is like crime bill, the 94. Crime I, you bill? know what? I'm not sure if it is or not. Now, I know I didn't really keep looking into it. It's like these are all rabbit holes. And liar. I was like, going, I need to get this done. I'm yeah. Yeah. So, he helped write the 1994, the big crime bill. OK. That changed a lot of these things okay. like this. And a lot of people went to had to do hard time, okay. which some people needed to. Right. Obviously. Right. So but it's like that's. But I think he somehow had introduced the bill because if law enforcement, the Delaware law enforcement at least would have known, well, you have a dangerous person in your vicinity now. He's under the. I mean, I think that that's. That's not unreasonable, is it? I don't think so. So I'm not sure if the legislation ever passed. It was a rabbit hole I didn't have time to go down on, but um, I'm interested to know if anybody knows. It just might have taken mm-hmm. some time before it actually passed, because I think it passed, like, in 94. I don't know why 94. Okay. I must have yeah. heard it or saw it. Um, but there was, like, a huge crime bill that was written. Interesting. And a lot of people went to, like, did hard time. Yeah. I think well, that's, like, when people started going to prison for, like, marijuana, like, masses amounts uh, of marijuana. Okay. Because you can rape a child and spend less time in jail. Yeah. Well, you can still do that today. Huh? Yeah. Okay. All right, so he's arrested, and on February 20th, 1991, the Newcastle County Grand Jury returned an indictment against James Allen Red Dog, charging him with murder in the first degree, unlawful sexual intercourse in the first degree, and four counts of that, kidnapping in the first degree, and possession of a deadly weapon during the commission of a felony, and there were three counts of that. On March 12th, 1992, he entered a plea of no low contender or no contest to all counts on the indictment. Basically, he said, I don't, you know, what I did, I know was wrong. And I don't want to put my family or the Pennington family through the trial. You know what? No contest. Wow. So he didn't fight it at all. He voluntarily waived his right to a penalty hearing on March 12th, 1992. Um, he also said, you know, I don't want to live my life in prison. Give me the death penalty. So he got what was asked. He he was sentenced to death and um, he welcomed it. He refused any appeals, even though despite his attorney, because they're like, you know, we could say he we could say all kinds of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, no, I chose the path. And now it's time for me to pay the consequences as a brave Sioux warrior would do. Good, I mean, good for him. Yeah. And and his and the Native American people were behind him. You know, he's doing the right thing. You did this. This is this is the way a Sioux warrior would do it. Okay. He did ask that his remains be sent to Montana for an Indian burial. He did give a couple of interviews. Um, and one of them, he said, there's an old Indian saying that when a warrior walks a path, that when you step on that path from that moment on, you must be prepared to die. And that's the way I've been raised. When I undertook criminal activities at that time, I wasn't left with any choice. There wasn't no jobs on the reservation. All there was was poverty. Crime was the only thing left for me to make a living. And when I took that road, I was preparing for the end. So now that's it, you know, come to this. I've been preparing all my life for it. 
His last meal was all the delicious things that I would ask for. Lobster, shrimp, oysters, steak. Now, this is a story that I've read and I, I'm going to try to remember it. But apparently it was him and his medicine man, which I'm going to talk to you about in a minute. And his attorney were in the room with the last meal. And the attorney was took a reached out with his fork to grab a bite of a shrimp or whatever. And Red Dog's like, if you take a bite of any of my last meal, I will kill you. So like, I think that he probably meant it. Yeah, and he did. So Red Dog told him, you better back off or you're going to die. What an, you just don't grab food off somebody's plate. Well, no, you don't. You don't. Um, I wanted to talk to you. Okay, so Red Dog was executed in a trailer that had been set up, a sterile execution chamber. And as his injections began to take effect, Red Dog mouthed the words, I love you, to his wife, Bonnie Red Dog. He also said something very nice about his attorney for standing next to him, you know, standing with him by it all. And then um, John Morset, the Sioux medicine man, who was the spiritual counselor, was there. Now, John Morset is not a Sioux. Um, he's not a Sioux, but he is a well-renowned medicine man in the Native American community. And Red Dog's wife had personally asked him to be Red Dog's spiritual advisor. She told Morset that he and Red Dog had about 10 years earlier participated together in a sweat, which is a, a Native American spiritual simmer, simmer, ugh, ceremony. Mm-hmm. And Morset had made an impact on Red Dog's life, even though Morset says, I don't ever remember meeting this guy. There was one like like in that show that I watched. They uh-huh. they did one in there. A sweat? Yeah. Okay. And they, um, they like get down like almost naked and... And basically, they're like in front of a fire, or it was on the show anyway. But that's what they were doing. Was yeah, yeah I've read a little bit about them. Um, so Morset told reporters he didn't remember meeting Red Dog, but he knows the Red Dog family, and they are well respected in the Native American community. And he also said that all people are miracles that the Great Spirit or God made, and it's up to them to utilize their gifts of power. It's kind of like saying, if you know everything, you know nothing. And if you know nothing, you know everything. So, like, riddle me that, Batman. I have been thinking about that forever. (laughs) What do you mean? I don't get it. Wow. Yeah, but this guy's really deep. I like him. He said that the Sioux believed all people come from the stars and return to the Milky Way when their spirits are released from bodies. Morissette was with Red Dog on the day of his execution. He conducted the Native American rites. They smoked a pipe. And he placed a necklace over his head. Red Dog's family and friends were proud of him for stoically facing his death. Um, Now, like I said, Red Dog whispered to his wife, I'm going home, babe. I love you. And then he looked at everyone else in the room and said, as for the rest of you, you can all kiss my ass. (laughs) And um, his defense attorney, as I said, attempts to halt his execution were called off at Red Dog's request. But about two dozen people, mostly Indians, were outside protesting Red Dog's death. But in the end, he was executed at his own request. Wow. Thank that you. That is the story of Red Dog. Al- James Allen Red Dog. Wow. That was really interesting. Thank you. I liked that. And th- I knew a little bit, I mean, a very little bit, just from my recent research into the, you know, yeah. what little bit yeah. I know about Yeah, I the, definitely want to know American. more. But it was a rabbit hole. And I kept, and that was what took me so long to research this because I'm like, oh, it's everything's so interesting. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I just need to stop. Right. But um, again, 
Um, thank you so much for listening. We want to give a shout out to Christina for her sweet review and our love for our sassy storytelling. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Murder. We appreciate sharing our podcast with you, and we thank you for your support. If you'd like to support us even further, please consider subscribing to our podcast and giving us a five-star rating and a comment. Your subscription and ratings are essential to our success. You can do this on your favorite platform. For more information and links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages, please visit our website at itwasn'tmetruecrime.com. We are so grateful to spend our time together to share our murder stories. Thank you so much for your support. Please recommend It Wasn't Me to your true crime-loving friends and family. Also, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You are the extra. You too can become one of our beloved patrons by signing up at patreon.com forward slash it wasn't me pod. Thanks again, guys. And remember, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. me.